Reading from the Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, and uh, today we're in the Madhya Lila. It's um, this is really where Lord Chaitanya's pastimes are being described. Uh, the um, Adi Lila is more philosophical, and uh, Madhya Lila, of course, um, this is postgraduate study of spiritual life. We have three basic divisions, kind of like an undergraduate, graduate, and postgraduate level. We have um, Sambandha. Rupa Goswami explains that Bhagavad Gita is on the level of Sambandha. So Sambandha means when we um, establishing our relationship with Krishna, or, you know, understanding who we are, understanding who the Supreme Lord is, and what our relationship is. That's Sambandha. 
And Srimad Bhagavatam, it's written on the level of um, Abhideha, which is like graduate level. And um, Abhideha means when devotional service begins, when after understanding our relationship and understanding who we are, then what do we do? How do we act? What is our position? What is our relationship with Krishna? Um, so just like a Ch- Srimad Bhagavatam, it begins with um, the second verse is uh, a very famous verse, Dharma Projita Kattavotra Paramo Nirmatsaranam Satam. It's a very, it's a long verse, but um, the Sanskrit is, but the English is completely rejecting all religious activities that are materially motivated. This Bhagavat Purana propounds the highest truth which is understandable by those devotees who are fully pure at heart. The highest truth is reality distinguished from illusion for the welfare of all people. Such truth uproots the threefold miseries. Um, this beautiful Bhagavatam spoken by the great sage Srila Vyasadeva in his spiritual maturity is sufficient in itself for complete God-realization. What need is there for any other scripture? As soon as one attentively and submissively hears the message of the Bhagavatam, by such a culture of knowledge, the Supreme Personality of Godhead becomes established within our hearts as an irrevocable fact. So the Bhagavatam, it begins at the point of liberation. Bhagavad Gita is bringing us to that point Bhagavatam is beginning at that point when we're completely rejecting material activities. That's why Queen Kunti, she prays, you know, that the Bhagavatam is meant for those who are materially exhausted, somebody who's no longer interested in becoming somebody in the material world or trying to gain something in the material world. They're tired of that. They want to go out of the material world. Um, Prabhupada gives this simple example of being in prison. Right? You guys know that example? So there's a class A prison, class B prison, class C prison. Right? So there was an Indian man who used to come here um, previously, and he was a uh, uh, an engineer for building prisons. And then one of my god brothers, he was a bank robber. <laughs> so he had been in prison, you know? So they both of them had told me, like, okay, so class C prison, right? It's like, thank God it wasn't me. <laughs> oh my God, Krishna. You know, like, um, so class C prison is solitary confinement. Okay? You know, so you're just locked alone in a small room where you can barely move. And, uh, it reminds me actually, I was living in China as a Sankirtan devotee for about six years I lived in China. And, uh, there was one Buddhist guru who came to China who was a, um, anti-communist party leader. She was trying to overthrow, you know, gain, uh, like, um, connections with leading people in society. And this one man who was helping us, he was a very wealthy businessman, but, um, he was very attached to being a Buddhist. And so my Guru Maharaj, Tamal Krishna Maharaj, she was trying to explain to him about the difference between Krishna consciousness and Buddhism. But what ended up happening was he got this guru was exposed. This so-called Buddhist guru was exposed. And he was arrested. 
And they put him in a box where he couldn't even stand up. They imprisoned him like that. So, you know, Class C prison is like that, right? So you can't, you're in a small box. You don't see anybody. It's dark. There's no heating. There's no air conditioning. You just sleep on the concrete. You know, they give you some dry bread to eat, right? But if you're really good, you can go to Class B prison. So Class B prison, right, they give you a little mattress to sleep on. They give you some lettuce and tomatoes with your dry bread. You can go out, you know, uh, once a week and play, uh, you know, football <laughs> if you really, you don't want to, if you really want to. You can go out and, like, play football right inside the barbed wire fence like that. But if you're really good, you can move to Class A prison. So class A prison, right? You get an LCD screen. You can go online 45 minutes a day. Uh, they get a better mattress. You know, you can get whatever you want to eat. Um, you can see your family once a week. So if you're really intelligent, what do you want to do? If you know the answer, don't say it. <laughs> huh? You want to go in class A prison? You, ah, you knew the answer. Yeah, if you're really... <laughs> Yeah, if you're really intelligent, right? You don't want C, B, or A. You want out, right? So that's Srimad Bhagavatam. Srimad Bhagavatam is the, the person that's like, hey, you know, I don't want A, B, or C. I want out of this place, right? Okay. And now Chaitanya Charitamrita, which we're going to read from today. This is on the level of Prayochana. Prayochana is the postgraduate. And... Um, this is uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita, Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is teaching us how to um, exchange spontaneous, uninterrupted, pure love with Krishna. You know, that means basically, Prajna means like when every one of our actions and our thoughts and our desires are just. Um, you know, completely motivated and, and deeply, like, uh, uh, you know, inspired by um, feelings of uh, pure selfless love for Krishna. That's Chaitanya Charitamrita. So, you know, we're going from the platform of understanding we're not the body, right? The Hinasmin. We're going down. Now, what is devotional service? How do I, you know, act in a way that's pure and which will attract Krishna, right? And then Chaitanya Charitamrita is um, on the highest level of pleasing and serving Krishna spontane- out of spontaneous love. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's like, uh, the example is given of, of a mango. So, like, you know, um, especially Indian people, they know green mangoes, right? We, pickles are made out of green mangoes. Sometimes they're used for sudji. Um, and then, um, there was a ripened mango, right? So, 
And then there's like the pure, just succulent rasa, of like a like a the puree of mango. Like sometimes we use it for halva, or we make drinks out of it, right? Anyway, so there's different stages of ripeness of a mango. So thank you so much. So different stages of ripeness, but the mango is good. It's nutritious. It's it's like valuable it's just amazing right it's the king of fruits even in the unripened state or in its you know mature state or in its fully ripened state so the same way bhagavad gita srimad bhagavatam chaitanya charitamrita are like that they're all valuable it's not that we reject bhagavad gita or you know krishna on the battlefield of kurichetra um or, or Krishna and Dwarka, and we just go to Radha Krishna's pastimes in the Ratha Leela. It's not like that. Um, so Prabhupada, he taught us to um, follow and study all of the, his teachings in a philosophical, systematic way. Like mm, Prabhupada wanted us to read um, Ishapanishad, right? Then Bhagavad Gita, Nectar of Devotion, Srimad Bhagavatam, and then Chaitanya Charitamrita. And if we do that systematically, read through the books, and then naturally, um, we will come to that, to that higher state. You see, where we're where we're no longer interested in material life. Mm. We become more interested in worshiping and, and devotional service to Krishna. Right? It's like, kind of like, um, you know, with Japa. So when you start chanting Japa, it's like, oh my God, my, this Japa is getting in the way of my life, right? It's just like two hours of japa. What? You know, this is like, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but japa to me is hard. It's like work, you know, it's like, what? I thought this was just halava and, you know, dancing, man. Japa? You know, but, but japa, right? So initially it's kind of like, oh my god, the japa is getting in the way of my life. But later, as one advances, as we, you know, start to overcome all these unwanted things in our hearts and, you know, it's like my life is getting in the way of my japa now. Right? <laughs> okay, so... I'm going to read a little bit about Lord Chaitanya here. We are in, this is an amazing section of Chaitanya Charitamrita. This is called Life's Ultimate Goal. So I'm just going to read one, well we can say, sing together. There's a, you know, a way of chanting to Lord Chaitanya. Um, it's very similar to the Panchatattva Maha Mantra and it goes, um, Jaya Jaya Sri Chaitanya Jaya Nityananda. So all of you. Chitanya Jaya Nityananda Jaya Dvaita Chandra Jaya Gaurabhakta Vrinda 
ऐसे जय जय श्री चैतन्य जय Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Ram Hare Ram Hare Hare Okay so I'm just going to read one Bengali verse and then I'm going to read English so it kind of like flows, okay? So here's one, it goes, Prema, Ramhe, Barihaya, Sneha, Manha, Pran, Raga, Anuraga, Bhava, Mahabhava, Ha. So you guys know most of those words, right? Like, Prema, right? Like, right? Prema Bhakti. Okay, and... Rame means gradually. Okay. Um, and uh, let's see what else we got here. Bhadi. Bhadi means um, increase, increasing. Haya means is. Sneha. Sometimes Indian girls are given this name. Sneha. Does anybody know what Sneha means? Affection. Yes. Thank you. And um, we have uh, mana, indignation due to affection. Indignation due to affection. What does indignation mean? It's like uh, when you're undignified, right? So indignation due to affection means like Somebody that's not really care. What are you, are you looking for? The meaning of in, indignation? Anger or annoyance provoked by what is perceived as unfair treatment. Thank you very much. So somebody who's uh, annoyed or angry due to being treated unfairly, and this, so that's um, the, and that's the result of affection, right? So um, sometimes lovers, you know, they may right become. Uh, like feel they're being neglected. I don't know. It's almost like a. It's almost like jealousy, right? Okay. Let's see how Prabhupada translates it. And then it says here. Um, so pranaya here is described as love, but pran prana also means your life errors or like your your internal nature, like the the very composition of your existence, right? So here it's being translated as love. Maybe all of you are the nicest people in the world. Right? Your nature. (laughs) Your nature. Right? The internal nature of the devotee is love, right? That's why we we like to be with the devotees, right? (laughs) They're really kind to us. Okay, and um, here we have here we have uh, raga. Anybody know what the word raga means? Hello? Attachment. 
Rasa is a mellow, right? Normally. And Raga, Raga Nuga Bhakti. Raga means bhakti with attachment. Okay, and Anuraga. Uh, Anuraga here is translated as sub-attachment. But generally, Anu means when we become a follower. Right? Like you have the word Anuradha is the name of Lalita Devi. Radharani and Krishna's best friend, right? Lalita and Vishaka. So Lalita, she's also known as Anuradha. Anuradha means the follower of Radha. So here, Anuraga means the sub-attachment, means the following, the things that are following attachment, right? And then you have Bhava. Bhava? Anybody? Bhava Bhakti, right? Bhava is just below Prema. What? The bud of Prema here is described as ecstasy. Devotion and ecstasy. That's not the drug. <laughs> I shouldn't make these jokes. I'm sorry, guys. I'll, I'll, I won't joke around. So, and the Mahabhava is exalted ecstasy. Who is the embodiment of Mahabhava? Shimati Radharani. She exhibits Mahabhava. Anybody else exhibit Mahabhava? Lord Chaitanya. So that's what we're going to read about right now. And then Haya means is. So here's the translation. Love of Godhead increases and is manifested as affection, counter love, love, attachment, sub-attachment, ecstasy, and sublime ecstasy. You know, like in English, we're kind of limited. Um, Prabhupada talks about this, that... Um, uh, I, should, I should be wearing this, right? I'm afraid one of your phones is going to ring. <laughs> Telling me to put my mask on. Hey, so you guys can hear me with this, right? Okay. So um, here it goes. So love of God increases and is manifested as affection, counter love, love, attachment, sub-attachment, ecstasy, and sublime ecstasy. So, you know, Prabhupada talks about the word love in English. So, you know, just like, I mean, you guys, especially Indian people or cultured people, you probably don't think like this, but, you know, as a typical American, here's kind of what, how love works in your mind. You go, well, you know, I love my mom. Um, I love my dog. I love, uh, let's say, samosas. Uh, I love football. Um, what else do I love? Oh, I love my new car. Um, you know, I, I love my wife. Oh, yeah, I already said my dog. Okay, I love my cat. And uh, I love God. Right? So it's really kind of muddled thinking, right? It's like the same feelings that I have for my dog... You know, the same term to express my affection, my appreciation for my dog is the same term I'm using to express my appreciation for my wife. Uh-oh. Now you know why there's so many 
marital problems in America. Oh, God. Hey, but so, you know, it's really, you know, when you look at the language, at a particular language, when you look at etymology, okay, etymology embraces the worldview, the paradigm, you know, the, the understanding of life. So English is really like a, especially today, in America, we our language is designed to express a post-industrial worldview. Like, we're really good at speaking about microchips, about engineering, about all these things, but when it comes about who we are, what our relationship is, or what our relationship is with God, we really don't have any terminology. Very little, almost non-existent. So that's the beauty of Sanskrit. Sanskrit, in Sanskrit, is called Devanagari. Devanagari means the language of, of God, or the language of the gods. But specifically, the God of all gods, Krishna. So, Devanagari is specifically written for our spiritual identity to be expressed and understood and our relationship and our interaction with the Supreme. You see the difference? So, you know, you have all these terms, prema, you have sneha, you have mana, you have pranaya, you have raga, anuraga, bhava, mahabhava. It's to, to define our feelings of love. It's a much more detailed and deep understanding of relationships that you don't have in English. At least I don't see it. So, you know, and here it's really beautiful how Prabhupada's translated, love of God increases. So, you know, when we talk about what's the purpose of all of this, Krishna, actually Prabhupada was asked by two intellectuals, what is the purpose of life? This was in Mexico City. They asked Prabhupada, what's the purpose of life? And Prabhupada said, first explain to me that life has no purpose. And then I'll explain to you what the purpose is. Try doing that someday. Explain how life has no purpose. Because that's what that challenge implies. Oh, tell us what the purpose of life is. You know, meaning that life has no purpose. So Prabhupada said, first explain to me how life has no purpose. And then I'll explain to you what the purpose is. So Prabhupada said the purpose of life is ananda, happiness. I think everybody can get on board with that. Everybody will agree with that, right? If you ask a kid, you ask a woman, you ask an Indian, you ask a Chinese or American or whatever, right? Everybody wants to be happy. It doesn't really matter what your faith is, what your culture is, what your education is, or what your social position is, right? Deep down, we just want to be happy. Okay? But the problem is, as Krishna explains in the Bhagavad Gita, the problem is we're trying to become happy with material things. And... Material things are temporary. So when we try to become happy with something that's temporary, our happiness is also temporary. So when our happiness comes to an end, like when your happiness comes to an end, how do you feel? 
right? We become, uh, Krishna explains, right? Kama, Esha, Krodha, Esha, Rajaguna, Samad, Bhava. He says, we get frustrated, we get um, angry, we become um, depressed, uh, delusioned, bewildered, violent. So, is that how life's supposed to be? You guys don't wake up in the morning and plan to become frustrated and angry? You don't wake up in the morning and plan to be depressed? Right? So that's not happiness. That is what? That's Maya. That's an illusion. Thinking that we'll be happy in the material world or with material, something material is an illusion. It's not that we reject material things. We accept them, but we understand, because we understand they have an intrinsic value. They're the property of Krishna. So that we can utilize them in Krishna's service. Right? Like, like some, like a trillion dollars. Now a trillion dollars, does anybody have a trillion dollars here? If you have a trillion dollars, right? Like, uh, uh, once I got to see three million dollars in cash. They had it in a couple of suitcases. Some, and um, so it's just a stack of paper, right? Useless paper. Like my house, right across the street here, my wife and I. Well, it just so happens that the way the temple and the park is designed, that the paper blows from the park into our front yard. So, you know, paper in and of itself, you just crumple it up and throw it in the trash, right? It's just useless. So, that's what the Mayavadis do with the material world. They don't see the material energy in connection to Krishna as Krishna's property. So they say it's because it's temporary, it's an illusion, and therefore they reject the material world. That's like the guy who has a million or a trillion dollars and he doesn't understand that the government has invested an intrinsic value in that, in those currency notes and says, well, it's just paper. It's just useless paper. I don't want paper. I can't even write on it. It's got this crazy designs on it, right? And just throws it in the trash. So the devotees, we understand, yes, the material world is temporary, but because it is Krishna's energy, it also has an intrinsic value that it's Krishna's property. So we can utilize it in Krishna's service, just like the guy who understands that the trillion dollars of currency notes has an intrinsic value from the government. So he can invest that money and do amazing things. Right? Isn't that a good example? So, you know... When we're talking about um, our relationship with Krishna, so Chaitanya Charitamrita is giving us this very deep understanding that happiness is not coming from anything outside of us. It's coming from within us, right? We all know the philosophy of chinta abeda tattva. So chinta, right, means something inconceivable. Like, just like we cannot see what's going on in the restaurant right now. Right? And, oh, wait a minute. I do. I see Mother Sueta's making some halava right now. 
for the feast. <laughs> no, you know, our senses are limited, right? The perimeter of our senses is very limited. So there's things that exist beyond the perimeter of our, sen- our material senses. Just like Fiji. Have you guys ever been to Fiji? I got to go there years and years ago and do Sankirtan there in the villages. My Guru Maharaj met a couple that had 25 kids. 25 kids? In Fiji, yeah. 25 kids. They just had a couple cows. They had a garden. They lived along this river that came down from the mountains. They had a simple house built out of like um, wood and and uh, corrugated metal and stuff like that. 25 kids and they were all happy. But just like, you know, we've never been to Fiji, but we accept the existence of Fiji. Why? Someone told us about it, right? Or they've brought us something from Fiji, like, like Fiji water. It's interesting, isn't it, that the best water is the water that's not tampered with? I mean, why don't we think about that, like, with everything, man? Like, nature is already perfect. Why do we gotta tamper with it, you know? But anyway, that's another topic. (laughs) Yeah, so we accept it because of authority, right? And then there's pictures, there's descriptions, there's so many things. And then, you know, we can also travel there. So the same way, these previous acharyas are bringing us information from the spiritual world. Now, why should we accept that? Because we can't perceive that. So why do we accept these acharyas, you know? Right? Why do you accept Prabhupada's authority? It's just cool to do it. Cool, right? It's cool to have a guru with a shaved head. My wife says my head's so shiny now. <laughs> fate? Shred? Oh, faith. I thought you said fate. Shraddha, faith. Yes, definitely. Okay, look, I'll give you something really simple. Like Prabhupada in the second canto of the Bhagavatam, he talks about The scientists are describing so many things which we can't perceive, right? Just like, you know, we accept the existence of an atom based on the Vedic literature. Like the the time calculations given in the fifth canto based on the movements of atoms divide a second down into something like 53,000 milliseconds, which is an unheard of time calculation in even in terms of Western, you know, I don't know. When do we use, uh, uh, what do they call it? Minutes, seconds, and then there's the smaller division of a second. Millisecond, thank you. Yeah, we're, we only use that like on the Olympics, right? Or something like that, right? Milliseconds. Right? But the Vedas would divide the second, the millisecond is down to 53,000 parts, divisions. So, um, but so we're accepting the existence of the atom, time calculated by the atom, 
But actually, if you Google it right now, you can't see an atom. There's no image of an atom. So we're accepting their statement that there's atoms, but actually there's no you know, uh, empirical proof of the existence of atoms. And really, almost everything that they talk about is not provable. Um, you know, they're basing um, uh, conclusions on experiments that they've never done. You know, like the, the hydrogen molecule and, you know, there's all these far out um, things that they, you know, somebody's performed an experiment. Now, if you and I go and do that experiment, we probably are not going to get the right result. Right? So Prabhupada said, well, they're presenting things that cannot be, that we cannot perceive, right? Like everything comes from nothing. Do you believe that? That's what they teach in universities. Everything comes from nothing. My Gurmaj, when he went to SMU here, he did his undergraduate work there, um, and you know, he was, he, he was, he became the valid Victorian uh, student of SMU. He he took more awards at SMU than anyone in the history of the school. Like we used to get calls here. I sometimes we would um, uh, take turns being his secretary, and we would get these phone calls. Is Mr. Goswami there? Because he would win all these awards at SMU, and they'd call up and then say, "I'm his secretary. Can I help you?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're from so and so corporation. We'd like to give Mr. Goswami a job. But, so, the point I'm making is that he told me that when he saw what they were presenting as the teachings of the Vedas at Dedman's College at the Southern Methodist University, um, which is a multi-hundred million dollar division or wing of of Southern Methodist University, he began, he said it was so far away from the actual teachings, it made him begin to think that everything they were presenting at SMU was like that. So the point I'm making is that we're accepting all of these, these authorities and Prabhupada said that the, the previous acharyas, they're presenting so many things which we can't perceive. Like, I would probably safely say 60% of what we read in Prabhupada's books is like beyond anything we've ever even imagined. What to speak of something that we're perceiving, right? Um, so Prabhupada said, so why are we accepting these teachings and not the materialist teachings? Well, Prabhupada said, we have to look at the authority that's presenting it. These authorities, if you look at these previous acharyas, all of their lives are spotless. They're free from any type of personal motive. They're free from any type of bad, you know, sinful activity. And if we look at the authorities that are presenting, you know, these these materialistic ideas, like everything comes from nothing, 
we find that they're highly motivated, you know, to make an income. And if they don't, right, they lose their house. And if they lose their house, their wife will divorce them. And their kids won't be able to go to college anymore. And all of that's going on. Right? And also if we look at their personal behavior, you know, compared to the previous Acharyas, it's really um, not the kind of person that we want to become. Like uh, I went years ago, I went with Gunagrari Goswami. He's passed away now uh, to um, university in Austin. And, uh, you know, uh, um, University of Texas in Austin, we were doing book tables there. And there was the uh, presentation on creationism at the university. So I went there and there was like a panel with Maharaj. There was a panel of uh, professors. So to say there was like 10 professors up on a raised platform. Um, and they were presenting, and there were about maybe 300 of us in the audience. So Maharaj and I were like, we got up in the second row, and this is years ago, and the leading professor was making the presentation about the, the origin of life and the creation of the universe. He was smoking his head off, like just smoking cigarette after cigarette after cigarette. He had the huge ashtray, you know. Those days they allowed smoking to be in the public buildings. And so at the end of the whole presentation, Maharaj raises his hand, you know, they ask if there's any questions. And he said, look, I may have not, Maharaj said, I may have not done my homework, meaning I might not have a PhD like you. But my simple question is, do you believe in God or not? And this leading professor, he, he just becomes irate. And he takes his fist on this table where he's, you know, where they're sitting up on the stage, and he slams his fist down. Actually, he got up. He got up from his chair, and he slammed his fist down. There is no God! There is no God! Like shaking, like out of his mind. So, the question is, whose authority will we accept? It's The, the information is not perceivable. That's being presented to us. That everything comes from nothing or everything comes from Krishna. At least not now we're not on that platform. So what do we have to evaluate? Well, we have to look at the quality of the authority. The person. The behavior. And who they're representing. You see. So I'm just going to read here because I know where everybody's leaving what time is it? Oh yeah, it's time to, to end. I'm going to read a little bit more here. It says, So, love of God increases and is manifested as affection, counter-love, love, attachment, sub-attachment, ecstasy, and sublime ecstasy. This development is compared to sugarcane seeds, sugarcane plants, sugarcane juice, molasses, crude sugar, refined sugar, sugar candy, and rock candy. One should understand that just as the taste of sugar increases as it is gradually purified, so when love of God increases from rati, means attachment, um, which is compared to the beginning seed, it tastes, its taste increases. According to the candidate possessing these transcendental qualities, sneha, mana, and so on, 
There were five transcendental mellows. Neutrality, servitorship, friendship, parental love, and conjugal love. Okay, so you guys, thanks. I think they have some prashadam up here. You got it? It's really nice to see you guys. Thank you for giving me a chance to talk a little bit about Krishna consciousness. And thanks for leading Kirtan too. So it's the real symptoms of the fruit, fruit of uh, the fructification of the seed of love are manifested because the heart is melted. When such symptoms are found among speculators and fruitive actors, they cannot be accepted as real symptoms of attachment. Foolish people without knowledge of devotional service praise such symptoms of attachment even when they are based on something other than a desire to serve Krishna. However, one who is expert in devotional service calls such symptoms rasabhas, a mere glimpse of attachment. So, um, just like I was at a program with my Guru Maharaj and... um, there was this man, he got up in the audience, it was in, we were, this was in Fiji, talking about Fiji, and, uh, he came up to the front of the audience, and he started rolling on the ground. This is like a symptom of, of ecstatic love, that a person like, basically they, they lose control of their body and their mind, and, um, it's very, very rarely seen, um, only like, great, Advanced spiritualists may, and generally they don't um, uh, manifest any type of ecstatic symptoms. Um, they control the external behavior, um, and uh, and then five minutes after we was rolling on the ground in this this, this so called ecstasy, we when we were leaving the program, he was outside smoking a cigarette with his friends. Right, so we have to, you know, see like it's saying here. First of all, to understand what's the, these different types of the, to understand love of God, we ourselves um, have to be qualified. Right, there's certain qualifications. Right? Like, um, just like say, for example, we made a, a new medication that can cure the common cold. Right. Now, who do we get to authorize that medicine? Do we stop a truck driver out here on I-30 and say, Hey, we need you to uh, authorize this medication so it can be sold in CVS. No, because the truck driver, he doesn't have the qualification or she doesn't have the qualification to analyze the proof. To analyze the medication. So the same way, unless we are qualified even though so many spiritual proofs are being presented, like hundreds, like so many volumes, Prabhupada wrote more books than Shakespeare, over a hundred titles, like five hundred to a thousand pages each. You know, even though all this proof is being presented to us, unless we ourselves are qualified by practicing devotional service, then um, we can't evaluate the proof. That's why if somebody that's like, you know has no spiritual training, um, you know, how can they make statements that God doesn't exist on um, based on what qualification 
If the person has no qualifications spiritually, how can they talk about or analyze spiritual proof? So we have to, you know, we have to, what do they say? Call an, an orange an orange or something like that, right? Don't mix oranges and apples or some, something like that, you know. Like, so, um, this type of attachment that we're discussing, this love of God, it's different from materialist, materialistic attachment based on sense enjoyment. Right? Sense enjoyment primarily meaning sex. Right? This is totally different. This is about serving and pleasing the senses of the Supreme Lord. It has nothing to do with our own sensual um, pleasure. Of course, the, the, when we utilize our senses in Krishna's service, we actually experience real satisfaction. Not just like some, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Some kind of, um, sensual agitation. It's a completely different experience. But unless a person's qualified, then they, when they see Radha and Krishna together, they just think, oh, this is the relationship of a young man and a young woman for sex. But it's not like that. It's a relationship between a young man and a young woman to please the senses of one another. It's a totally selfless. You see? There's no selfish motivation. That's the difference between lust and love. But on our own, without our relationship with Krishna, we can't actually access that. Look, I'll give you one more example and then I'll stop this. Um, just like, let's say for a minute, you guys are the nicest people in the world. Okay? Now, if you're the nicest people in the world, right? You go to work, you're always nice to everybody, you're kind to everyone, you always do more than everybody expects, right? You always help everybody. But at the end of the month, you know, your supervisor comes in and says, oh my God, I'm so sorry, I can't pay you. Now remember, you're the nicest people in the world. What are you going to say? She really is the nicest person in the world. Look at her. She's saying it doesn't matter. It's okay. No, 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 I won't be able to pay you at all. The company went bankrupt. You know, our supervisor got, uh, I mean, our owner got uh, COVID or something, you know, happened. And, um, you know, it's all over and um, you're never going to get the money from us. <laughs> See how nice she is? <laughs> and what will you say? You will look for another job. She won't be mad at all. So, okay, let's look at that. Like, say for a minute you say, okay, I love you guys. I love the job. I know you can't pay me. All right, it doesn't matter, right? Okay, so the next question then is, how long can you go on doing that for? Right? You can't go on doing that because we are dependent by nature. We need sustenance. We need that paycheck. Right? It's like you're thinking, oh, I gotta, gotta go get another job. 
So the point I'm making is that first of all we have to recognize that we are not independent. We are dependent by nature. So even though we want to be loving, we want to be selfless, it's natural for us to say that's okay, you know, I, I, I love you, I want to help you, I want to, you know, uh, work for you selflessly. But because we are dependent by nature, we can only do that to a certain limit. Once we reach that limit, where we no longer have any money to pay our bills, no food to eat, none of these things, then we cannot, lo- we cannot be loving anymore. We have to be now motivated like a businessman. Like, okay, now I will serve you, but you have to pay me. That's not love. That's a business deal. But Krishna is not like that. Krishna is Farat. Krishna is completely self-sufficient. He's Atmaram. He's totally self-satisfied. Everything is his energy. Even our qualities are his energy being invested within us. So, you see, Krishna, as the source of everything, is the only person that can actually love others completely selflessly. Krishna doesn't need anything from us. In fact, we are His energy. Krishna is the proprietor of everything. So, Krishna doesn't need a paycheck. So, Krishna is the fountainhead of love, of pure love, by nature. There's nothing else that attracts Krishna. There's nothing else for for Krishna to um, aspire for. He already is the possessor of everything. So that quality of selfless love, it comes from Krishna. Now when we are in when we are in a relationship with Krishna, all of our desires become fulfilled to the level that we come closer to Krishna. Right? Krishna is the source of all beauty. His beauty is increasing at every minute. Krishna is the owner of everything. Krishna is the most powerful. He, 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 he's the, possessed, the, the origin of all power. He's the origin of all love, of all adventure, of all fun. So when we are with Krishna, in fact, not just hallucinating it or dreaming about it or, 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 or concocting something about it, but when we are actually in contact with Krishna, all of our desires become fulfilled. We become more satisfied than we've ever been before. So in our relationship with Krishna, we can now love one another because we no longer have to get anything from one another because Krishna is already the origin of everything. Krishna is already giving us more than we could ever imagine. That's why advanced devotees like, right, you've never seen a picture of Jesus Christ smoking a cigarette. Right? Like, you know, when somebody's in relationship with God and, the re- and that's real, they, they're not interested in anything except God. By nature. Naturally. Right? So that person can love us because they don't have to get anything from us. They're already getting more than they can imagine from Krishna. So that's why the devotees can love one another and love other living beings. Even if the devotee is working for a company 
and the company can't pay the devotee, the devotee understands that actually my sustenance is coming from Krishna, not from the supervisor who can't pay me. So if the money is not going to come from the supervisor, Krishna will arrange my sustenance in some other way. Because Krishna loves me. Krishna will take care of me. Unless, of course, I've done something, you know, uh, foolishly or sinfully, you know, and because of that now I'm suffering. You know, I've killed so many living beings, eaten so many animals, done so many horrible things, and now suddenly I have to, you know, get a reaction for that. That, but that's also Krishna's love to get us to stop us from doing things that are harmful to ourselves. You know? Like a baby might put their hand up to a fire, but the mother might slap the hand. No, don't touch that. It's gonna burn you. So Krishna, he may give us some reaction. But Krishna only gives us a small reaction to what we actually do. Just to try to bring us back to experience that love loving relationship with him, that complete satisfaction with him. So these things, so this, this, these loving feelings, they increase naturally as we practice devotional service. It's not something that we have to learn. These are already, these are qualities already within us because we're part and parcel of Krishna. We just have to now relate to Krishna, serve Krishna, talk about, glorify Krishna, chant Krishna's holy name. Offer our food to Krishna. You see? Then naturally all of these feelings awaken within our hearts. Okay, you guys. I think I've gone too far. Thank you so much for being with me. I hope you have a wonderful day. And I look forward to talking to you again. About Krishna.